Read together from the word of the Lord. If you would, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 5 is where we'll be covering today as a part 2 from this section of scripture. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For I consider your calling, brothers, not many of you who were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. As we work this year or so on through the birth of 1 Corinthians, it is important for us to always understand our text and our context of what is taking place. Christianity, following Christ, when done faithfully, is not popular. It is foolishness in our world. It is foolishness in this time and this age to be a follower of Jesus. And yet this is not a new thing. 
people literally since the very beginning of Jesus coming have been trying to eradicate him and his followers. It was in 1857 when some archaeologists were working and doing some construction or, or deconstruction of some things in Rome, that they came across this wall. And as they began to tear down this wall, the original plaster stone was still there. It's believed that this plastered wall, this stone wall that they found, had been there as early as 50 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, on upward to maybe 200 years. So still pretty relevant uh, in a contextualization of time of what was happening within the world. Rome was in charge. They're polytheistic. They worship many gods. They consider Christians to be atheists because we only worship one God. They also call us cannibals because we are people who take a communion. And they take that, or would take that literally, that when we say that we eat the body and drink the blood of Christ, that that is cannibalism. Um, even the word Christian, if you didn't know this, was actually first invented as a sort of a derogatory word of these little Christ, which is what Christians mean. Little Christ walking around following this dead peasant guy. Why? Because it was foolishness to them. And yet, archaeologists, or the people who found this engraving on this stone wall, much to their amazement at what they found, saw this image. And so if we could click to this picture. On the left is an original picture of the engraving. And on the right is a detailed kind of sketch penciled over the engraving to get the actual image that is there. And there, there are words written there in Greek. And those words are this. Alexaminos worships his God. This was found in an area close to where uh, the, the empire was at. It's, it's believed to be written out or inscribed into this wall by one of the employees, one of the pages that works for the kingdom of Rome inside the Roman Empire. Now what's interesting about this image is that it was complete graffiti. It was complete mockery and it's believed to be the earliest depiction of Christ on a cross in all of history. But notice something very peculiar about this engravement and this picture. That the head of the man on the cross is that of a donkey. That instead of placing an image or a picture of what could be an early Jewish man, like Jesus, in the mocking... They replaced Jesus' head with that of a jackass. Why? Because the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who do not believe. The cross of Christ is a scandal to those who do not believe. The cross of Christ is the, the worship of just some animal-headed you know, piece of trash from the Middle East to those who are perishing 
they ask, where are your miracles? To those who are perishing, where is your logic? To be a follower of Jesus and to follow him faithfully is to find yourself in a predicament where, where those who are apart from Christ, where those who are not in Christ will look at you in a strange way. And if there is not a clear division between the way that you are following Jesus and the way that those are following him, per se, in the world, then there is a grave mistake. There is a serious issue that is taking place. In such a world that can embrace the teachings of this current culture and claim to know Christ. That would be inconsistent with what we see inside of Scripture. See, in the culture of Corinth, they were enamored, as we talked about last week in the first part of this sermon called The Power of the Christ Part 1, is that we, we saw that the Corinthians were completely enamored with the idea of public speaking. This is pre-YouTube, this is pre-social media, and so for their own entertainment, people would give speeches um, declaring their new wisdom, or how they had figured out this, or the intellect of the time and the discoveries of the time and the people of Corinth, which this church was a part of, became completely just captivated by these influencers. Is this not true even in our day where people are extremely motivated by interesting, opinionated expressions of thought? You think about the news, quote-unquote news, that we get from places like Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or ABC or any of these sorts of things that, that our world right now can be so influenced by comedians like Joe Rogan or, uh, you know, all these other people that people just really flock to. I mean, think about this, that the leading podcast, most listened to podcast in all of the world is from a comedian. Left wing right-wing fanatics who are speaking these things and simultaneously have captivated the ears of those of us sitting in churches way more than the Bible seems to be influencing. And we have what we call social media influences. We're bombarded with images of inconstant entertainment and then we're expected to go to church, to stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, repeat these words, sing these songs, when we have lyrics so that you actually know the words. Up, down, up, down, up, down. All right, let's have a shot glass of some juicy juice and a nasty cracker. That's church. Welcome. as the Corinthians had drifted away from the importance and the centrality of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, so has specifically the American church. Please understand me, when I say that there is a decline in the American church, uh, the global church is rather growing. And I would contend and argue it's because there's persecution there. But we have been given much. Why do I need Jesus? My bank account's full. My food pantry is full. 
You got a house, 2.5 kids, a few cars, closet full of clothes. I got a bathtub. It's inside my house. I got indoor plumbing. Why do I need this Jesus? I'm not desperate for Jesus. We want to be comfortable and we want to be entertained. However, Christ did not come, friends, to make you and I comfortable. No, he, he did not come so that you and I could put our achievements on display. No, he chose what was considered to be foolish by the world so that true wisdom, true power, the power of God could shame the wise and save the foolish. And what is the mode or the means by which he has chosen to do this? And it is through the preaching of the word. The word of Christ. The word of Christ. See, we live in a day and age where people often say, man, I'm really getting cool with Jesus. I've loved Jesus for a long time. But I'm not cool with the church. And I definitely, even some Christian music is pretty good, or, or even reading the Bible is all right, but I definitely don't want some man preaching at me. And yet all of that is doing is revealing the brokenness of lostness. Jesus came a preacher. Jesus has called preachers. Jesus has called all of his brothers and sisters, all those whom he has saved, to what? To proclaim, to preach, to use your mouth, to proclaim one message, not the message of your achievements, the message of the cross. The glory of the resurrection of Jesus. There is one famous one, and his name is Jesus. Truly, as part of Mission Church, what we proclaim, what we believe, who we want to set upon the throne above all other thrones is not a man, it is not a woman, it is a God-man, and his name is Jesus. Do you know him? This man named Paul, he has all the accolades of a Jewish man. He is the Hebrew among Hebrews. He is a scholar. He has studied under the greatest and one of the greatest teachers within all of Judas, Jewish history. And yet he proclaims in these passages over and over and over again that he did not stand and find his identity in his education or the name dropping of so on and so forth when he proclaimed. Now in his letters, he does some of that for a reason. But in his preaching, he had one sermon. And that one sermon was the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we proclaim, as it says here in chapter 1, verse 20, but we preach Christ crucified. Later in chapter 2, he will say this in verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and what? Him crucified. Over and over and over again in the verses that were read to you today, you see this common thing happening. We see wisdom and foolishness, but we also see simultaneously running through that, that true wisdom is found in the power of God. And where is God flexing his power the most? 
is in the cross, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's where we see the magnitude of wisdom poured out. We preach Christ crucified. Why? Because all of humanity hinges on the response and the truth of that historical event. We do not preach ourselves. We preach Christ. What is the real power? What is to be displayed? What is to be proclaimed? It is Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection. More than anything else, our world and you in this room this morning need to hear that truth. It is Christ. It's Christ on the cross. It is Christ buried. It is Christ risen. To preach the gospel, to preach about Christ and to display the power of Christ, we must understand this morning the simplicity of the gospel that you and I have experienced. Even this morning, if I could just be really honest with you, as I hope I'm always really honest with you, maybe too honest sometimes. When I was looking over my notes, I had this internal struggle going, man, this is just not that flashy. There's no real gripping, powerful story or illustration here. And I was reminded of the text. I was reminded of the simple transformational power of the gospel. See, Jesus has saved you. And as the passage tells us, he is saving us. Friends, we get no deeper than the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We will never be able to plummet its depths. God will spend all of eternity peeling back the layer after layer after layer after layer after layer after layer after layer of all that Christ has done in accomplishing God's desires upon the cross. That we will never know the abounding love that God has for us as he put that on display in the person and work of Jesus upon that cross. The gospel, beginning with the cross, is an understanding that the Bible itself, that the gospel itself does not begin with you and I, but but rather the gospel, the preached gospel, begins with an understanding of who God is. And as we talked about last week, in Genesis 1-1, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible declares from its very beginning that all of life is courtesy, is a gracious working of an almighty God from the very beginning until the very end. That God as Father reigns with providential care over his universe. That he creates That the flow of the stream of human history is according to not our purposes, but to the purposes of His grace. This God is all-powerful. This God is all-knowing. This God is all-loving. This God is all-wise. We are told throughout Scripture, after Scripture, after Scripture, after Scripture, that God is sovereign, meaning this, that He is supreme ruler. 
that he possesses ultimate power, that he's acting according to his own good and perfect will in all things, that literally, friends, as we have said before, that there is not a dust particle flying through this room right now that is not orchestrated and held there by the very will and purpose of God. This God of the Scripture is a God who needs no thing or no one to create. And in that creation, he makes man and woman to be his representatives on this earth and to steward his creation. We see this inside the book of Genesis that he gives freedom to Adam and Eve, our first parents, our representatives on the earth. He says, go have fun, steward. But there is God's law. There is God's boundaries. There is God's rule. Enjoy all of creation, but do not eat of this tree. And by Genesis, what, chapter 3, they have both eaten God determined that if you break these rules, if you break these boundaries, why? Because he is holy, he is good, he is just, he is merciful, he is all these things, and yet if you and I break these things, then there is a broken fellowship, there is a brokenness in our relationship with this almighty God. He cannot peer upon evil, he cannot be in its presence. He declares this, Adam and Eve, they break the will of God, the law of God, they become sinners, not in their actions, but rather in their very nature, which then multiplies the numbers of sins. They are sinners, and so will be their children. Sin begets sin, begets sin, begets sin, begets sin, begets sin. We come in this story that in the breaking of this, that we learn many things here. And I, I can't read all of these passages to you today um, because we'd be here a really long time. But we need to understand that you and I are far worse than we could ever imagine. Friends, if you knew everything about me, you would not come here this morning. And if I knew everything about you, I'd stand at the door and not let you in. Or I'd have Trevor Ayers because he's big. <laughs> all right? Yet God knows all of those things. Everything. The Bible will tell us that in our sinful state, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, God's perfect standard. Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin, or excuse me, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible would tell us that no one seeks God on their own. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 11. God will tell us in his word that no one can understand the things of God. Again, you can't hear the message of God and not believe that it is anything other than foolishness unless God quickens your heart to see it as truly wise. The Bible would tell us that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, that all of our intentions are on evil consist, uh, con, uh, continually. The Bible would tell us in Jeremiah 17, 9, that our heart is deceitful and that all things, it is beyond a cure. Who can understand our very heart? So never follow your heart. It's a deceitful liar to you. It will lead you to death itself. 
even the good things that we do, apart from Christ, good moral, earthly, citizen sorts of things, the Bible would say, according to his holiness, according to who he is, apart from Christ, that even these good things in Isaiah 64, 4, all of us have become who is like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. This is not something that we become. It's not that you are born morally and spiritually neutral. That's the intellect of the world telling you that. That is not the scripture. People in this world want to tell you and I that babies are, are essentially within conceived inside their mother's womb as they're growing there, that they are somehow spiritually neutral. And yet that is not what the Bible declares about you and I's state apart from him. We do not become this. We are born this way. Psalm 51, 5, surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In Psalm 58, 3, even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward and speak lies. We are slaves to sin, Romans 6, 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were from the, excuse me, when you were slaves to sin, you were from the control or away from that control of righteousness. We've inherited our sinful nature from our first father in Adam. And the book of Romans will tell us that. First Corinthians, we will get to that soon or later on. And it says in First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, For all as in Adam, all die. Because we are sinners, we cannot choose God. The Bible will tell us this in Job. It will tell us this in Matthew. It will tell us again in Jeremiah where it says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. What is the result of this sin, of this brokenness that you and I have apart from Christ in our relationship with God where the result is spiritual and physical death. When Adam and Eve sin, what does he do? He removes them from his presence. They are removed from the garden. There's brokenness. We've all seen it. We see it in our own hearts. We see it in the lives of others. He said every time that we turn on our phones, every time we turn on the computer, every time we watch the television, is all we're seeing is a parable, an illustration of the state of humanity. The Bible does not declare, friends, that you and I are in some way sick because of sin. The Bible does not declare, friends, that you and I have some sort of, you know, backache or broken leg or limb because of sin. No, the Bible declares that you are dead. You are dead. And yet, we have a sermon. And yet we have something to declare. We have something to preach. We have something that, again, looks foolish, looks ignorant. 
is not popular. And, and what is that message? Well, Paul will tell us, Paul reminds us, but we preach Christ crucified. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so the, the truth of what Paul was preaching to these non-Christians who God would choose to save many of them, and then they would form this thing called a church, is that they needed to hear the gospel in order for God to save them. That's the means by which God would choose to save them is through the proclamation of the word. And yet, what does this church need to be reminded of at the beginning of this letter? It is that same truth, the gospel. It is about the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That is what Mission Church is about. That's what we want other people to know about. It is that it is because of Christ. And so God has chosen, again, foolishness. He chose what was uh, unappreciated, uh, uh, disrespectful, again, to this Roman culture and to our culture as well, is that he would choose the most despised way for him, his son to, to die, and that was to be placed upon a cross. Why the cross? Why do we preach the cross? Because if God is just, then sin must be punished. The Bible tells us that in Nahum. He also tells us that in John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus did not come to condemn us. Why? Because left in our sin, we were already condemned. Romans 1.8, the wrath of God is being received from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Why the cross? Because by our, his very nature, Jesus is a savior. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why the cross? Because Jesus, God, is merciful and he chose to do so uh, what we could not do for ourselves. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be moral enough to achieve and to reconcile yourself back to God. There must be an intercessor. There must be a new representative that would trump that of Adam, and his name is Jesus. Why the cross? Because God the Father loves Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Why? Because the cross, because Jesus, God, loves us as well. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what happens? Why do we preach the cross? What happens at the cross? Number one, God ransoms us, Matthew chapter 20. God redeems us through Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 1. We see that God rescues us in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. We see that God reconciles because that is the ultimate desire and the, 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 the ultimate purpose is for us to be with God, to be in fellowship with God, to be his children, to represent him on this earth. And God loves us, but God God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has ransomed us. He has redeemed us. He has rescued us and he has reconciled us. But who did Jesus die for on the cross? 
for those who believe, the Bible will tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, for his people, Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, for his sheep, John chapter 10, for his friends, John chapter 15, for his bride, Ephesians. Christ loved the church so much that he gives his life for her. Friends, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the full penalty for those that God had chosen before the foundation of the earth. If the wage of sin, meaning that there must be a payment for you and I's sin, that this, this payment could not be paid by you. It could not be paid by me. The only thing that would satisfy, as the song that we sang earlier, the wrath of God was satisfied. And yet we live in a culture, and I would say a masquerading, in some cases, Christian culture, where even in certain churches, did you know that in the, the, that song, In Christ Alone, where it says the wrath of God sat, is satisfied, that they actually will not sing that in their churches. Because it paints too much of an ugly, nasty picture. But they don't want to sing about the wrath of God. Oh, no, no, no. We don't want to talk about sin here. We don't want to talk about sin, Satan, and death here. We don't want to talk about the wrath of God. You know, people don't really get that. Wrath of God, it just seems like he's really like, ugh. Right? We want to be really open-handed with people and just be really inclusive with people. But we preach Christ crucified. For I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. On the cross... On the cross, God punished Jesus in the place of those who he would save. Please understand me, when Jesus dies upon the cross, notice what takes place here, is that, that Jesus on the cross doesn't take away the practice of sin. Anybody still sin in here? Thank you, Pastor. We have one faithful, honest person right there. Right? We we are all on the struggle bus when it comes to sin. When Jesus dies upon the cross, he, he doesn't remove, he does promise that this is going to happen. Heaven is a place of sinless saints, uh, worshiping God, living life as a family under his perfect reign. Yet when Jesus dies upon the cross, you and I still struggle in sin, but we, we could not even break away from that apart from Christ. And yet in Christ, as he dies upon the cross, he pays a way where, where we can also, because of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not always sin. But notice what he does do on the cross. Jesus removes the punishment of sin, past, present, and future, for those who would believe. See, if we really got that, we get really excited here this morning. 
If we really understand the depths of that, listen to me. If you are in Christ, your past, present, and future sins were paid upon the wrath of God that was due to you, that you're deserving, that I am deserving, was completely satisfied as God, as Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as he gave it up and he declares what? That it is finished. Well, what is finished? The wrath that you and I deserve if we are in Christ. The wrath. Friends, here's the deal. Is that if you're sitting here this morning and you do not understand how desperate you are in need of salvation, if you do not understand the infinite gap between God's holiness and your wretched state apart from him, if you're looking around in this room at other people and you're thinking, well, you know, compared to, I mean, we got two identical twins in this room. I mean, they're looking at each other like, Oof, yeah, I'm way better looking than that guy, right? I mean, uh, you know, if I'm comparing myself to you, I'm tall, dark, and handsome, in case you haven't figured that out. If I'm comparing myself to you, I'm really good. Because I'm really good at knowing what all you guys do wrong. I got lists. I'm checking it twice. And you're all naughty. If you can't understand the, the, this, this, the major issues when we, we sit in here and we're, man, we're, we're looking, man, again, compared to a lot of people or to the you know, Netflix serial killer shows that I watch, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I don't know that I need this whole Jesus thing. I, 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 I've got a good education. I've got a wife I love. I've got kids. I've I got two dogs. I mean, one of them's preacher. I mean, I got this thing down. Jesus, nah, he's a good buddy. He's a good friend to have along side of me. It's, you know, me and Jesus. When you and I think that we deserve salvation, we have missed salvation. Because when we, again, compare ourselves to other people, you can always find someone who's crazier than you are. That's what the people and the scumbags of the city were doing as they watched Jesus die on the cross for entertainment. And yet when we gaze upon the cross, we realize it is not a comparison of you and me and how we stack up against each other morally no, the cross of Christ forces us to compare ourselves to God. And when we do, we tremble at the weight of our own depravity. We can no longer grip tightly to, to think in this idea, man, I deserve this. I mean, I deserve to go to college. I deserve a new car. I deserve a husband. I deserve a wife. I deserve a kid. I deserve to be healing. No, 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 no. We, we completely lose track of all that we think that we deserve. We stay humble at the realization of gazing upon the cross at the understanding that at who I truly am, I deserve nothing but hell itself for all of eternity. That the, the way, the tsunami Nami wave of all of God's grace should be pounded upon me, 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 pounded upon me for all of eternity. 
over and over and over again. And until you come to that realization, friends, you will never understand your desperate need for a Jesus upon a cross, placed into a grave, and on the third day resurrected. We kneel at the weight of our sin. We turn our head at the cross in embarrassment for what has been revealed to us in the pit of our own despair, we, we begin to realize that this hell is so deserving. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Blessed are the poor. They shall inherit the kingdom. That is not talking about monetary economics. It is talking about a complete bankruptcy of your heart. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I can bring that up. dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Get this. Verse 4, but God but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated uh, us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, that we should walk with him. We preach Christ crucified. Feel the weight of your sin this morning. And celebrate the removal of it. See, around Easter, man, we love to look at pictures of Jim Caviezel on a nasty, dirty cross. I would encourage you to get that image out of your mind. They did not do it justice. But that bloody cross and Jesus hanging upon it 
gasping for air each breath. As he bleeds, the spear is rammed into his side as water and blood gushes forth from him as blood trickles down from the crown of thorns upon his head. That cross was yours. That cross was mine. We're the criminal. But friends, it does not compare to the wrath of God that was being poured upon him on the spiritual realm that would have made the actual physical representing and watching of the cross look like a Disney movie. As he who knew no sin became sin. You once were but God who is rich in his mercy, in his loving kindness. At the truth of this, we come humbly. All boasting is destroyed. We only can boast in Christ, and therefore the church becomes what? A worship, a hospital, a place of death, not a cruise ship for us to walk in and say, man, how, you know, how can you serve me? What kind of programs do you have for my kids or teenagers? Or what kind of music is being played? All of this would have been foreign to the early church because all they had was Christ and him crucified and him buried and him resurrected. If you're going to follow after Jesus, don't, don't come to this for comfortable and, and for entertainment. No, you come as a call of dying to yourself. Why? Because he has laid down his life for those whom he loves. And I plead with you that we not be silent. Your lifestyle evangelism is not biblical evangelism. Proclaiming with our mouths is evangelism. Why? Because we hold the antidote to sin, Satan, and death, and his name is Jesus. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus this morning, please hear the weightiness of, and the magnitude of who God is compared to who you are in your sin. And you will either stand before God pleading your own case. I was good and I only cussed under my breath and I only drank alcohol when it was in my NyQuil and I never cheated on anybody and I'm a good person and I voted Republican or I voted Democrat or I was pro this and pro that and, and I've got this whole acclimates. I mean, I've got a doctor degree in the Bible, Jesus. You should let me in this joint. And he says, no, 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 no. I do not know you. Or you stand before Jesus and maybe you still have all those acclimates. I didn't cuss until I became a pastor and I know people didn't believe that, but church people, let me do it. <laughs> it's a 23-year-old Eric, too. You may be really goody-goody. Man, you, you may have one of them TLC testimonies. Like, you know, you watch that and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe people do this stuff. You will either show your resume or you will show the resume of Christ and Him crucified. And I plead with you this morning to turn from your life of evil, to turn from your life of sin, to understand the weightiness of who you are and what will be coming to you apart from Christ and in faith, in trust, 
that God says that it is by his kindness leads us to repentance. Do you know what is being displayed to you even on 1200 Old Barren River Road is that while you are here that you are breathing and you're having the opportunity to hear the gospel preached to you is that that is God's grace and his mercy and his kindness and his patience that is being bestowed upon you. And I ask you to please to look to God, to repent of your sin, to turn in faith and to devote yourselves to following after Jesus. He is the only one that is worth it. All of the things are rubbish according to the scripture. You lay them at the feet of the throne of Christ. All of your wealth, all of your education, all of what you think you deserve to recognize humbly I deserve nothing but death itself but God in Christ through the power of the cross, through the burial, and through the resurrection. is not about information overload. It is about transformation and the resurrection of spiritually dead people into the newness of life. So friend, come to Jesus. Come to him. Come to him. And if you're following Jesus in here, please, I hope that you haven't tuned me out. But in all that we talk about, and all that we're going to talk about some crazy things in Corinthians, I'm just going to let you know that I'm a little bit nervous about it. But those things can only be seen through this lens. And if you miss this lens, you'll miss what Paul is trying to do with the rest of these letters. Do you know Jesus? Is he still your hope? Is he your everything? Is everything laid upon the sacrificial altar of your life compared to knowing Jesus? I pray that he quickens your hearts this morning. Pray that he quickens my own. That he stirs our affections for Jesus like we've never seen. In such a way that true revival takes place. Not this thing that our church schedules once a year where some random dude comes and preaches every night for a week. That's man-made. That's revivalism. True revival can only be done at the very hand of God. And I pray that in such a time and place as this, revive us again, O Lord, as we look to Christ and Him alone. Let's pray.